the quality of your life is a direct result of your habits, rhythms, disciplines, and practices. And who you are today, right now, in this moment, is a result of your habits in the past. And who you will be in the future will be a product of your practices today. We're in our four-week series in week three of it called Habits and Rhythms. And each week what we're doing is we're looking at the picture, a picture of the ideal future version of you. And as we look at you in the future, the ideal version of you, we're asking what is the habit, what's the biblical habit or practice that brings you closer to that version of you? And today... We, we look at a version of you that is living a full life without fear, charging out into the unknown, ready to face what's ever thrown at you. The version of you that is most free, untamed, and uncaged. So how do you become that version of you? The answer is weird. It's fasting, and I want to ask you to be patient with me today because I'm going to talk about a lot of things that seem like they have nothing to do with fasting, and then at the end, you're going to see the connection, and it's going to make fasting. You're going to understand why this is a practice and why it is important for you and why you should be doing it, though you're likely not doing it because it's just not something that we do anymore, and you'll see, well, maybe you'll have a, an excitement to do it. So we, we've got three passages of Scripture today, so we've got a lot to read. Um, the first passage is going to come from 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. Now, this is the main text we've been looking at through this entire series. It's like setting the tone. And then the second is going to come from Paul, another letter from Paul in Philippians, and that's going to be our aim. So here's, well, let me just read. 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. Train yourself for godliness. Like this is your aim, who you're going to become. While bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. All right, now we turn to another verse from Paul in Philippians. Like, who, who are you aiming at becoming? Well, let's look at Paul. For to me, to live as Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. And then our last comes from Ezra 8.21. Then I proclaimed a fast at the river of Ahava that we might humble ourselves before God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and our goods. All right, aim. First point. Paul, who penned two of these passages, he has found something so glorious, 
He's found something so, look at me, he's found something so absolutely wonderful that it has caused him to have a paradigm shift in the way he views life and death. Paul has discovered something that has made him unstoppable. You can't do anything to Paul. You can't hurt him. He says to live is Christ and to die is gain. Meaning, he's saying, if you kill me, you have just done the best thing for me. Because then I'm with my Christ in glory. If you let me live, I am untamed. I don't play by the same rules anymore. I live by another code. I'm free. To live as Christ means this. Paul has had an encounter with the glory of God that was so absolutely wonderful that it has raptured him up into that glory. And then by seeing it, he knows that there is nothing greater than him. He knows what his future is going to be, and it changes the way he lives in the present. And he wants everybody to know what has untamed him. And so when he says, for me to live as Christ, that's what he means. I will not be tamed. And you will know why. And then he says, to die is gain. And it means your threats of death to him are like bells of delight that remind him of what his future beholds. He's, in, he's like, he's found this glory in the present and it's changing him. But even the glory that is to come, bring it on. Do your worst to me and it gives me the best thing possible. Kill me and I'm in glory. Now that means he who does not fear death but craves it because of the glory he's walking into, now that man is alive. You can steal nothing from him. He's uncaged. Now, I want to tell you what Paul means here. He says it's like he belongs to Christ. And if Christ is going to take him, or if somebody's going to kill him and he goes to be with Christ, he's totally great with it. Like, he's happy about it. But this is not like, oh, I crave death like I'm not excited to be here in this world. Meaning he is alive now and he craves to live a full life for the glory of God because he wants everybody else to know about his glory. He's free and he's going to live to the highest end. And Paul's spiritual maturity has made him unstoppable. There's a recent trend in motivational speakers and trainers, and they're, they're trying to get you to do difficult things, to test your body, to see what you're capable of, like to get yourself to your absolute limit and then press on even further. To go out and run an ultra marathon, and when your foot breaks, just keep going. Now, why would someone test their limits like this? And I'm convinced it's because they're searching for God. They're, they're bringing themselves to their breaking point, And they're hoping that at their breaking point, they might somehow there at the end of themselves reach for something that is beyond them to find a strength that is beyond this world. That's what I think they're after. 
We all want something. We, we're, we're all looking for the thing that is so glorious that we say, wow, I found it, and I'm willing to live and even die for this thing. Something so beautiful and magnificent that makes us say, you can take everything from me, but if I still have this, I'm free and I'm alive. I've shared this with you guys many times. Usually when someone becomes a Christian, it's before they're 18, or if it's after 18, it usually requires some difficulty, some pain, and some suffering that brings them to faith. And the reason is because it's like they're dan- they've been brought to the point to where they're dancing on this, like, they're at this precipice where they're on, like, the knife's edge, and they're, they're teetering between faith and doubt. And the thing that brought them there was they have suffered enough to where they're desperately seeking to find something that will get them through their suffering. It's like suffering and pain has a way of making you just change everything about the way you think. A paradigm shift is ready. So they become on this precipice. So what's happening is when people are pushing themselves at the end of themselves, it's like they're trying to create that kind of thing. Like they're trying to put themselves on the edge of the knife so that they'll fall over and find something that is so glorious. Paul found it. He found the highest peak mountain of glory. What happened to him? Like how did he find this? Well, Paul was a murderer. Paul took the lives of men and women who called themselves Christians. That was his previous life. And then he found the door of forgiveness. And see, the door of forgiveness, like Christianity, you're like, yeah, everything's about forgiveness. Well, it is, but, but that's just the door. Like you open up that door and you walk in to worlds of glories that all belong to Christ and you see him and you behold him and you say, there's nothing that anybody can do or give me that, that is beyond him. So I'm free. It made Paul turn into someone that says something like this. I'm yours, Jesus, and I will follow you to the ends of the earth, beyond the sea, out into the unknown. Tell me what to do with my life, and I will do it. I'll stop at nothing for your glory and your beauty and your truth to reign. Now, have you found Christ like that? Have you found a glory so unbelievable that you're saying, I'm living for this and I'm even dying for this? Because you crave it and you want it. And every Christian can have this, but most don't, at least not before death. So why did Paul have it? How did he get it? And why aren't we getting it? We're not getting it because we're settling for lesser glories and lesser saviors. And this is your greatest threat to living a full life. Your threat, second point. Specifically, here's what you're doing. You're settling into comfort. And there's two ways that you can settle into comfort. First, by escape. Second, by doing difficult things. Now, how does doing difficult things bring you comfort? Well, we're seeing that doing difficult things is a good thing. Like Paul says that, like test yourself. 
It's good to do that. But the more important question you should always be asking yourself, like if you're this thrill seeker, if you're always working so hard, outworking everybody, like you're just this grinder and go-getter, here's the question. Why are you doing it? What's your motive behind it? What I found in myself, because I have tendency to be like this a little bit, what I found with people who like just they go, like they're pushing themselves to the end, they're working hard, uh, what they're really after is to prove that they're worthy of something. You think of the movie Rocky, Rocky, he says, you know, I just want to fight so I prove that I'm not some bum. We're trying to find worth. And trying to find worth in anything other than Christ is a road to hell. Because there's always going to be somebody better. There's always going to be something that you find that you just can't do. And you're going to get old and you're going to wither. You'll never be enough. And, you know, it's ironic because the people who are doing hard things... They're destroying, like, like they're just destroying their body in a way. They're doing it to find comfort. And they're doing it to find comfort so that they can prove that they're worthy. Because they think, just think, man, if I could just do enough, if I could prove to the naysayers, if I could just like get rid of my past and do enough now, then I will just be, I'll be comforted. I'll make up for all my past sins. I'll be healed if I can do enough. And so... It's a false sense of comfort, though, because it's a false worthiness. It's never going to be enough. Now, okay, there's the first error. The, the equal and opposite error is to find comfort through escape. And the irony here is that you try to escape something. You try to escape from something by some comfort, but that comfort ends up entrapping you. Alcohol is a perfect example. Alcohol is a, a depressant, which means it's depressing your reality. It's helping you escape from, like, the thing that you're maybe upset about. And so it brings a temporary comfort, but then it entraps you. Or, like, you binge watch some Netflix. And so here's, what, here's what's probably happening. Your life is hard. And what you're able to do when you, like, binge watch a show is, like, you, you sit down on the couch and you have, like, popcorn and you're, like, you're eating your comfort food and you're looking at these people act out, like, the hardest thing that could possibly happen to someone. And you're just, like, sitting there comfortable. And what you get to do is you get to escape from your world and put yourself, like, like in the theater just watching somebody else's difficult life. And the next thing you know, hours have gone by. You come out of your trance and you're like, what am I doing? I've been wasting my life away. And you, you know what you go do? You're like, man, I got to make up for this. And you go run and accomplish a bunch of stuff as if that was going to make up for everything that just happened. It's just another escape. You're ping-ponging around trying to escape from comfort to comfort to comfort. Pornography is used to escape. It's seeking pleasure without commitment, without risk, without effort. And, hey, you're probably exhausted. So this is easy. Shopping is an escape. I don't understand it. It's one of the most stressful inventions of mankind. But for some reason, some people really like to do this. 
So there's an escape. Spending or saving money. If you're saving money without being generous, you're terrified of your future. So you save and save and save, thinking that everything will be fine if I can just save up enough money. You're living out of fear. Or you spend, because then you can get some materialistic things that will buy some comfort around you in your life. Or we rely on comfort food, where we can taste the ecstasy, like our taste buds start dancing. Because someone said amen, I think, back there. Um, Christ, taste and see that he is good. There, there's a thing called a catechism, which means there's like a question and an answer. In the Heidelberg Catechism, the first question is, what is my only comfort in life and death? Answer, that I am not my own, but I have been bought with a price. And now I belong to him fully. He is mine. I am his. That, that statement is about dependence. This is our third point, your posture. These comforts are what you're depending on. Paul's posture is complete dependence upon Christ, and that how, is how he has become the kind of man that he is. Paul says in other places, when I am weakest, then I am the strongest. Because he's been brought to his end, and he realizes how brittle he is, and so he's reaching beyond himself into the other world and finding Christ, his strength, and he's strengthened by it. Complete and utter dependence upon God. And it makes you stronger than ever. The strongest man in this room is the one who is most aware of his weakness and most aware of Christ's strength as source for any chance that you have. And dependence on God, it's peppered throughout all of the Bible. Let me read some of the, let me read some verses. Psalm 73, 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength. The strength of my heart and my portion forever. Like the, the heart has failed. You've come to the end of yourself, but then God has revived you, strengthened you, and been your portion. Isaiah 41, 13. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, Fear not, I'm the one who helps you. Isaiah 40, 29, he gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Psalm 3, 3, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. And there are hundreds more Bible verses just like these. You have to learn to master the art of dependence upon Christ. And how do you do that? By fasting. Finally, we are at the practice. Fasting that specifically brings you to the place where you are prayerfully dependent upon God. And there are many reasons to fast. And the Bible is a bit frustrating because you want to open it up. And you're like, okay, why am I doing this? And the Bible doesn't tell you a lot about why you're doing it. And then you say, well, how do I do this? And the Bible doesn't really tell you how to do it or how. It tells you how not to do it, but it doesn't tell you much how to do it. So the reason I want to tell you to fast today is because it will bring you to a place where you are dependent upon God. It's like you're training yourself to learn how to do it. So our verse about fasting says, then I proclaimed a fast 
that why we might humble ourselves before God and seek from him a safe journey. And so you're coming to this place where the fast is making you realize you're brittle, making you realize God is not. So you depend on him. You're humbling yourself and you're depending on him for whatever is before you. Fasting puts you in a position where you realize you are frail, you're brittle, and you know what it really does? Fasting puts you in a position where you have to face your fears. Because if you're fasting from your comforts, you know, see what you're doing? You're taking the things that are making you comfortable and you're hiding in them and around them. You're protecting yourself from the thing that you're scared of most. And when you fast, you're taking away the thing that makes you comfort, and you're having to face your greatest fear if you let it do what it's supposed to do. The, the, you know the story of King Arthur and the Knights at the Round Table? There's a lot of stories, like really cool stories around what they're doing. And there's one story where they have to find a treasure, and in order to find it, they have to go into their greatest fear. Every single one of them. They just go out on this journey to find their greatest fear, and they enter right into it. And there in their fear is the treasure. Now, in real life, there is no magical treasure that's in your fear. Or maybe there is. Maybe the treasure isn't gold. Maybe in your fear is where you find the untamed and uncaged version of yourself, the you that is fully alive. Maybe that's the place where terror surrounds you and you're left to do nothing else but say to God, help me. And there, in your utter dependence on God, you have an encounter with a glory that is beyond this world. And when that happens, that glory fills up in you, and you've encountered him, and you've encountered now a strength that can face even death. And when you walk through that, you come out different. Fasting is meant to mimic that. So here's the progression. You fast, and you fast in order to bring you to the end of yourself. You realize you need a God. You need a Savior, one that's far bigger than this comfort that you've been running to. And you reach out for him. He takes you by the hand. He lifts you up out of this pit of despair that you have fallen into. He dusts you off. He shows you his glory. He, you watch as he faces death and wins, and then you say, what can this world do to me now? I've got him on my side. That's why you should fast. And I'm not, I mean, maybe you should fast from food. But I want to encourage you to fast from the thing that makes you most comfortable. So for all of you grinders, like you who just work hard, I'm going to ask you right now to do the most difficult thing you've ever done. To stop doing difficult things just for a moment so that you stop trying to find your worth in that difficult thing. Because what you're really hiding from is your fear of failure 
and you think, gosh, if I could just work hard enough, then I won't fail. Take everything that you're depending on, all of your hard work, and stop doing it and look at your greatest fear right in the face. And there, as you face your fear, hold on to Christ. And what you're going to find is that he has, he has faced your greatest enemy death. He has faced your greatest fear. He's faced your greatest threat. He has faced your failure. And every failure that you have, he endured the pain and suffering of that fa- failure. And he rose through it. And he, he, thinks, you're, he thinks you're awesome. Like that's what you really want, you hard workers. You just want God to say, I think, you're, I think you're awesome. I think you're great and well done. And Christ purchases all of that for you. That's what you have. That's what's available. But you're never going to know it if you don't just stop and see that he's done it all for you already. All right, if you're relying on alcohol as an escape, you know, you know what you're doing is you're hiding like from all of your fears and you're comforting yourself with alcohol so you don't have to think about your great fear. And if you'll just put the bottle down for a minute and not pick up some other kind of comfort but face the thing that's scary, like ask yourself, why am I drinking? And then put it down and face the thing that's caused you to run to the bottle, it's going to drive you to Christ. And then he'll be your strength. He'll help you face the fear. If you're binge watching, like you're watching someone else's difficult life play out, turn off the TV and look at the difficult life before you. And you say, how am I going to do this? And the answer is, you aren't going to do it. Not if you want to live a full life. Not if you want to live without fear. You're going to go to Christ. And you're going to rely on him, be completely dependent on him to face what's before you. Same thing with all the other stuff. Just whatever it is, whatever your thing is, just fast from it. Maybe you do a food fast. Do a whole day or three whole days. Or if there's a comfort food, stop. And just like every time you crave something, go to Christ. The purpose of all of this is to to deprive you of the thing that you are relying on for comfort so that then you come face to face with Christ and you have a real encounter of his glory. And then once you encounter that glory, you say, I'm yours. There's nothing I want more than you. And now you're free. You don't even fear death. In fasting, I want to encourage you to do this. Look at your greatest threat. Death is the greatest threat. Look at it right in the face. Be courageous enough. And then as you're looking at the face of death, turn and look at the face of Christ. Because what he did is enter down into your greatest fear, your greatest threat, death itself. And he was swallowed up by it. And then he broke through death and took you with him. Therefore, now you are uncaged and untamed, ready to live a life that is fully free. Look, if you can stare that in the face, like really do it. Like, 
You fear nothing. You don't fear man. You don't fear your future. You're ready to live. And that is how you have a full life. And fasting is the practice that will help you do it because it's driving you to the person who gives you the strength, the person who sets you free, the person who uncages you, and that's Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray that every every scared soul in this room, every soul that is filled with fear, fear of the unknown, fear of failure, fear of fear of not being enough, fear of everything, God, I pray that you would let them face that fear. And that there, while they're scared, you would be their strength. You would be their God. You would be their courage. You would lift them up and make them brave and live a life that is fully alive. Help us do that, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider, follow our social media at Grove Church PSL, and check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.